this week, Tim Miller is in residency at the University of Arkansas. Miller is the creator of several performance art pieces, the author of several books, including his latest, A Body in the O, in which he writes about gender, immigration, homophobia, and censorship. Miller was one of four artists denied and approved National Endowment of the Arts Fellowship in 1990. He and the other artists who became known as the NEA4, challenged that denial all the way to the United States Supreme Court. Miller is working with students at the U of A this week and helping them create their own stories. Last night, he performed at Pearl's Books in downtown Fayetteville, and he'll have a one-person show tomorrow night at 8 at Nadine Baum Studios in Fayetteville. Yesterday afternoon, he came to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio to talk with us about his career, his advocacy, and the joys of a busy, week-long residency at a university. Right now, after 18 months of people not doing residencies and not having visiting artists and for me not being in the studio and not performing and not, you know, getting to go to a wonderful new Pearl's bookstore and and, uh, and see what's happening there and perform and read there, it's all really a pleasure. Um, but yeah, no, it's a good juicy one, but it's quite typical, you know, hopefully now as we're getting back in person to things. It's a quite a typical residency week at a university for me, working every day for hours with the students, encouraging their voices, bringing their stories, their performances forward, uh, me performing at least one night, and in this case, you know, the two nights while I'm in Fayetteville at, at uh, the university performing, and then one, one, uh, one night at Pearl's Books. So it's, it's a fun week. I want to talk ask you some more about working with students here in a minute, but let's talk about the performance that you'll have. As you mentioned, you were at Pearl's Books last night, but then there's also the Thursday night performance on campus. What what can we expect? Well, I'll, I'll perform probably, it'll be kind of a performance and also a little bit of a talk. I'll probably perform three or four excerpts from pieces, do a little talk in between, partly just so that it's it's low key and they're they're loading in the play Marisol this week, so it's it needs to be quite simple technically. Uh, but with that, it's a format I really like. It's sort of, a, it's the this beautiful easy flow between performance sections that I, I love to do and kind of setting them up in a nice way. So it's, it's, a, it's a format I actually really, really enjoy. It also means I don't have to do a technical rehearsal, which um, I, I never mind missing. Um, because that's, you know, it's, it's labor intensive also for the, the program and the students. So it'll be a fun piece, kind of, I'm still kind of considering what I'm going to do and I'm going to, you know, sense things at how things go, um, at Pearl's books and then, but I'll do some pieces that to me feel the most just urgent and things I'm wanting to share with the community or I've never, I've never been, um, um, to Fayetteville before. So it will be my first performance in Arkansas. All right. And which means there's only four states I haven't performed in now. So it's I have to ask then what are those? Yes, four? of course, um, South Dakota, Mississippi, where I've been too many times but have never performed, um, Wyoming, and um, what's the fourth one? I work in the South a lot, so I've got that all covered. Um, there's a fourth one, but sure, I forget I, what it, <laughs> I forget what it is right now. So oh, we, a weird one, New Hampshire. Oh, which I've you know performed in every state around New Hampshire a zillion times, but not New Hampshire. Well, New Hampshire's small. I mean, you know, it's pretty much I would get invited to Dartmouth, I think, and that would be it, and that just hasn't happened. So, Lebanon. I've been to Lebanon, New Hampshire, in January. Don't go in January. Yeah, That's no, a- I do a lot of that kind of traveling. So you're still thinking about what you'll do here, um, meaning that you might pick from different just which material yeah. I'll, I'll pick. 
I'll probably do. I want to do some brand, you know, stuff that's quite new, but also some kind of things that marks some of my crucial, you know, culture war moments of my struggles and Supreme Court case and uh, all the work I did around marriage equality in those years. I was sort of one of the main artists doing work around for that decade around marriage equality during the you know the battle till we got. Um, um, equality of, of civil marriage in this country now, you know, many, several years ago. Um, but that was a big, big subject for me, partly because my my now husband, and we've been together for 27 years, but we were really being forced to leave the country because he's Australian and we couldn't do what a, any straight couple who'd never even met who could get a fiancé green card. And, you go to Vegas. Well, yeah, you get yeah. married, and then literally the next day would be recognized by the federal government. And it took a Supreme Court decision in 2013 for us to finally do that. And you've mentioned marriage equality. You've also, and as you mentioned, your husband is Australian. You've touched on uh, immigration as well. Yeah, this was sort of my way of engaging the the two you know two of the hot button endless issues in our country around um, you know both you know lesbian and gay civil rights and. LGBTQ, larger communities of rights and immigration and the marriage equality, which 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 is is at this point settled law. I don't think there's even with the current um, disaster of a Supreme Court we have. I don't think I don't think that's going to get revisited. Um, I think we're pretty we're pretty done with that, which to me is just such a relief because it's people like weddings. Weddings are fun and like the weddings are good for. A zillion businesses and and uh, good for human human life gives more stability to the dogs we all love. So. <laughs> right. So yeah. So I want to kind of make sure I touch on all those materials because partly that's of interest to the students. Also, what is it to be a artist engaged with society? An artist who's also been attacked. You know, is attacked by the federal government and defunded by the National Endowment for the Arts and took a case to the U.S. Supreme Court around that all through the '90s. So that's. I don't know if I'm going to perform any of the work around that, but I'll certainly talk about it because it's of interest to the students of what what happens when theater gets dragged onto the floor of the House of Representatives and and my work mischaracterized and assault and attacked and well, just to catch some listeners up, you were what some people have tabbed one of the NEA four. Right. You were given an NEA grant, but then a member of the Bush administration picked you and three other, I believe, all individual artists out and said no. Yeah. Exactly. We're not going to fund, and and that was what you you won that, and it went all the way to the Supreme Court. Right, we won our grant back. We did lo- the the larger issue was right. lost, which was that that the federal government could censor artists for federal funding. That that was not they did not consider that protected protected speech because it was about you know being rewarded. Um, and that this general notion of standards of decency was, you know, was declared constitutional, that that was a criterion. We got our grants back. It was right. just because that— And court costs, right? And court costs. We won all that. But then the the, uh, the issue, not related to us, but to the National Endowment generally, was not a big win. So and the NEA, most people perceive we won that right. just because we did get our grants back. And the NEA since has not— Given money to individual artists? No, that- no, except for writers. Right. Yeah, it's like, which is bizarre since writers are often real <laughs> troublemakers, um, but they they still do um, literature fellowships. But that's it. All the other um, disciplines are no longer. In a weird way, and only someone who wasn't involved in this could think this, that's a weird backhanded compliment about theater and live performance, that that somehow is more uh, visceral or the, more, quote, 
using air quotes, dangerous? There's that. I think, you know, freedom of um, freedom of speech and, and publishing and, and writing is so inscribed in, in case law and stuff that it's where we don't have a comparable, you know, all the instances of books being burned in the United States or Allen Ginsberg's howl being thrown in Boston Harbor and right. kind of thing, the little Tea Party reference, you know, the revolutionary Tea Party war, period. Um, but, but I, you know, I, I know what you mean, and I, I feel that too. It was partly that perform. it meant actually that what happens in theaters um, is supercharged and important and actually can... Uh, ruffle the corridor, the cor- the corduroys and the corridors of power. So, when one one thing I find inter- I love about your work is that it's not chronological. Like your first piece was about this part of your life, and then the second, the next, the next, the next. You keep finding things in your life that are relevant to the new work and relevant to the time in which it's produced. Right. Well, like with the, my most recent piece called Rooted, which is really about the day the Supreme Court declared marriage equality under federal law. And Alistair and I got married that very morning in New York City and it was a very exciting day to be, you know, waiting for a Supreme Court decision. Um, but at that moment, what was exciting to me was it was the first marriage license in my family since 1865. My great-great-grandfather got married in New York State right when he got back from um, his years with the Army of the Potomac in the Civil War to central New York. And so suddenly, I, and I have their marriage license, mm-hmm. so suddenly I have my great-great-grandparents' marriage license from New York State in 1865 and ours in 2013. And rubbing those two documents together and seeing what sparks flew was kind of the idea for that piece. So in a way, it was both the most current thing and also reaching me to my furthest family um, lineage somehow of my, at that point, only 22-year-old great-great-grandfather back from four years in the Union Army. And, and, you know, he was a Quaker abolitionist and he's, you know, very, you know, someone I really feel in connection with of social justice and also putting his life on the line and was severely wounded and barely survived. And so he's someone I'm very feel quite connected to. I don't really know what he would make of me. Uh, but 160 years is yeah, hard to bridge. Exactly. Right? Yeah. But that but that's sort of a fun. It was both the most performing the most current thing in my life of literally my marriage and then Alistair's green card interview. It's a it's good bit. I'll probably perform that Thursday because I think it's a it's quite a fun piece. And marriage stories are really fun. Because <laughs> people a lot of people relate to it because they've they've usually something funny happens. Yes. <laughs> when you talk with students about thinking about their lives and, and interacting with society, what sort of things do you encourage them to think about or practice or engage in? Well, I, I you know, having just left the studio 20 minutes ago before I came to your the, the, the radio studio, um, my general goal is to encourage them to dig deep, to think of moments, things that, first of all, things they really care about, which is a core creative impulse always, what really matters to me. But for me especially... What are things that that um, you know? I have a bit of an agenda with this. I like I like privileging moments of where they challenged authority, confronted injustice. It was part of a prompt yesterday, um, and those were some beautiful stories about times they spoke up, took a chance, became who they're supposed to be, in this beautiful unfolding journey in our lives of being true to ourselves, which is to me really really important. Um, today they were really looking at almost their personal autoethnography of their their families and who they come from, how they see their bodies, what the stories of their bodies are. And it tends to pull very, very intimate 
rich and powerful pieces forward as it did today, like 35 minutes of performance, you know, kind of each person doing a, you know, about a three-minute piece that was just all really exquisite and surprising and whole new ways of see what, seeing what it is to be a human being, what we worry about, what we care about, what scares us, what fills us with hope, and a lot of generosity. It's, their, their pieces were really beautiful. So that's, you know, what I want them to do is to come out of the week knowing themselves better, feeling stronger, more ready to face whatever the future brings. And, you know, you, you know entering, you know, a, a theater space right now after all we've been through, it's quite moving and quite strong. You know, even just as we were talking, just being back in with the microphones face in front face. of us, face to face, talking right now, it's all – we don't take it for granted yet. I don't know. I think we won't for quite a while. No, I'm, I'm not sure we ever. Hopefully it we may, never. It may not change. At least people, you know, maybe children will, it'll be replaced by other things. But I think for adults, this has been such an uncanny period. Um, and this is my second global pandemic with, you know, having been a young person and a young gay person mm. during the AIDS pandemic. And, and you know, clearly those years in New York City for me, where I was, which was, of course, the front of the front lines, um, has changed my entire life and changed everything about how I see the world, see my country, see um, what my social justice job is. So I, I can imagine COVID is going to be similar to that for the rest of my life. I imagine it's interesting. You're a, a boomer, born in the late yeah, 50s. 1958. And so many of the students you talk to, gosh, I guess Many of them are not even, are born in the 2000s. There are, these are all grad students, so okay. they're probably – but for undergrads, certainly, they're all yeah. born. Incoming freshmen, I think, are born in 2003 this fall. So <laughs> wow. they've been all post-New Century for a couple of years. So. so there's something that happens in that space when you're talking with them and working with them that unifies you. But then there's also that gap of yeah. you know, <laughs> what you've experienced just by being – Right. In your early 60s and them being 20s or 30s. Well, but that's in some ways I think that was for me in New York City being which almost the exact same age difference. I was sort of obsessed with the poet Allen Ginsberg when I got to the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And I lived on a block from him and I would literally stalk him and I'd follow him around. And partly, you know, one of our most important, you know, poetic voices, you know, Ginsburg and Whitman are just these giants of American letters and, and to be around and also politics and social engagements. And, and so for me to get, I wanted to have as much, I was 19 when I moved to New York City. So it was oh, that wow. same kind of relationship. And he was probably in his early 60s. Uh, actually, he was maybe a little younger than that. He was born in 1925. So um, he was, he seemed like he was a thousand years old. Um, so I think there's that hunger and urgency, I think, for generational transfer and for things. At this point, it's the most important thing I can do. You know, I've gotten to perform all over the world, all over this country, and have published five books. I've gotten to say a lot of what I want to say. And I, there's more I want to say, and I'll do my share of it this week. But more important to me is, is what I can energize and connect with and embolden in, in younger artists. Finally, I mean, you have examined your life. You've dug into your life. You've, you've brought it to us. Are you excited for what will happen for you between now and, say, age 90? God willing. <laughs> Inshallah. <Sure. laughs> so, um, I am. I'm, I'm hopeful. I mean, I would like to get old. I would like to, you know, um, 
get to do that. I don't care. You know, I, I had so many friends die young in those horror years in the 80s in New York City. And um, so I've, I've, it's all been frosting in a way that I was not, you know, hit by that and easily could have been and easily could have died at 25. So I'm, you know, incredibly and daily grateful for that. But I would like to get, I think I'd be a super good, really old person, um, unlike a, a um, youthfully spry 63-year-old. <laughs> Um, But I hope so. And I'd like to get to learn those lessons, including the complicated ones of of decline. You know, I I love Philip Roth's novels and and admit all his complexity. But, you know, his third act as a writer is writing basically about male decline. And I find those those novels and there's a half dozen of them all really interesting and and beautiful. And I think to write honestly about – what it is to get older and to feel your life, you know, going away is one of the most important lessons about being human. So I would like to get to perform more more of that. And my last piece, Rooted, was already in some ways beginning to do that, which is uh, in my most recent book called A Body in the O, which in this case is the O of the Hollywood, Hollywood sign. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming to Yeah, this was a pleasure. And for coming to KUAF. And I look forward to hearing about your performances in – Pierre, South Dakota, and Lebanon, New Hampshire. Oh, there you go. <laughs> it probably it might be Pierre. Probably a university town, but we'll see. Is but there one in Pierre? I bet there is. I'm sure there's. God, I've never, I've never, I've never even set foot in South Dakota, but yeah, someday. someday. Well, thank you. Good, good, good knowledge of capitals. <laughs> Tim Miller, thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Tim Miller is a performer, creator, activist, dog lover, and author. He's in residency at the University of Arkansas this week. He will perform a free. One-person show tomorrow night at 8 in Nadine Baum Studios in downtown Fayetteville. He was at Pearl's Books in Fayetteville last night. We talked to him yesterday afternoon in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio.